You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology. Hi, and welcome to this special episode of In Technology. I'm your host, Tom Garrison, and I'm joined by my co-host, Camille Morhart. And Camille, this week is a special week. It's Thanksgiving, and obviously we celebrate that here in the U.S., and so we thought it'd be a great time to show our thanks to the listeners. Yeah, and we always want to hear from people what topics they're interested in hearing more about and different perspectives on. And of course, we also look always at what's getting the most downloads and what kinds of things people want to hear about. So we thought it'd be interesting for this episode as a treat for the listeners to actually play back what they liked best. So this is kind of some of the most popular episodes that we've had this year. That's right. And now, so drum roll, please. What were the most popular episodes and topics? And these are in no particular order for those of you keeping track at home. First is uh, cloud computing. Second is artificial intelligence. Third is sustainability. And the last one we'll cover today is machine consciousness. So let's get to the first episode. And again, these aren't in any particular order. But back in June, we had a show focused on cloud security. And it doesn't surprise me that this was a popular one. It was really, really interesting. And it's really because when you think about it, so much has changed in the last few years when it comes to cloud computing. Yeah, I mean, we were already experiencing a shift to software as a service based apps prior to the pandemic. And that obviously the pandemic then accelerated that transition. We've also seen in the news over the year, some high profile outages at cloud providers, all this kind of driving extra interest and knowledge among all sorts of people about <laughs> about the cloud and wanting to know more. That's right. And, you know, historically, companies, large enterprises and whatnot, when they have chosen a cloud provider, they have chosen a single cloud provider. And when you start thinking about things like extreme weather events or earthquakes or other issues that shut down a single provider, that puts people out of luck when that provider isn't available. And so we thought it would be a good idea to talk to someone about the current state of cloud storage and security. We spoke with Joe Peterson. She's vice president of cloud and security at Clarify 360. And she told us that cloud customers are starting to rethink having all their eggs in one cloud basket, as she put it. It's really important to talk about resiliency. Are you housing workloads across multiple availability zones? Are you supporting region routing using things like domain name services? Are you backing up your data? Are you encrypting that data? And we talk to them about some basic hygiene things that you should be doing, like have you secured your user endpoints? That translates into all endpoints. You might have the users squared away, but maybe you don't have your VM squared away. Maybe you don't have your server squared away. Let's think about things like the shared responsibility model, because the shared responsibility model is different for each cloud provider, and it's different for each product within that cloud provider. So are you and your team sure about what your responsibility is 
as it relates to that cloud provider and that particular product. And it gets even crazier when you're dealing with multiple clouds. It's a lot for anybody to sort of remember. We tell them, hey, look at your cloud usage policies. And I know it seems super simple, but practice good password hygiene. Who's got the passwords to this stuff, right? So doing everything to sort of ensure that that workload's protected along its journey as much as possible. Joe Peterson is Vice President of Cloud and Security at Clarify 360. Another popular episode this year focused on IoT devices, and in particular, how these devices and systems can affect a business's approach to cybersecurity. And interestingly enough, that's actually an issue we've been studying at Intel, along with a team at Epiphany Systems. They're a company focused on proactively identifying cybersecurity gaps. So we invited Malcolm Harkins, who's the company's chief security and trust officer, along with Rob Bathurst, who's the company's co-founder and CTO, to talk about how IoT devices are changing the way companies need to look at cybersecurity in the workplace. So if you look at a, a building, right, you know, most people just think of it as a, a shell with you know, glass and, and doors and floors. And really, when you look at it, it really is a connection of different systems, right? In most modern buildings, because of uh, energy regulation, they put in automated control systems for their furnaces, their boilers, their air conditioning units, elevators, power systems, access control. It's all connected. And it's all sitting on this network that is not really thought about the same way that you might inside a corporation. And so they usually just connect it together and make it work and hope for the best. And so a lot of the realization has come around to how do they secure it? In some cases, it might be easier for an attacker to, in essence, attack and exploit the building and create that ransomware event rather than just all the PCs and the servers and that type of stuff. The facilities systems that manage those buildings have by and large been built and managed separately from the traditional IT environment. Now, there's the traditional perspective of the perimeter. Makes a lot of sense. We always have to harden that as much as possible. And that perimeter could be at the device, at the data level, and the network level, all those type of things. But that's an attack surface view of things, that perimeter. And it doesn't really get to the depth of the connectivity between devices, applications, identities, and networks. It's really about starting from the inside out, not the outside in. You know, just to tail onto that, if I may, in the security industry, we have a bad habit of saying like, well, my responsibility is this, and so this is where I'm going to stop thinking about the problem. And what you really need to take into account is the interconnected nature of the system. And actually, if you come together as a team and discuss how bad it could be and what the attacker's objective might be, you get a much better overall defensive understanding that way than you would typically. You know, if we look at the security industry right now, we basically hire former arsonists to come try and burn our building down uh, and then tell us whether or not they were able to light it on fire. But in reality, when you build the building, you have a building inspector, you have a fire marshal, you have people 
come around and check it and evaluate it and make sure it's up to code. And we don't have that kind of same rigidity in the security space. And so we, we really need to get out of the calling the fire department is our first reaction for security or hiring an arsonist is our first reaction for security um, and get more to the proactive inspection side of it. We just heard from Rob Bathurst, co-founder and CTO of Epiphany Systems, and with him, the company's chief security and trust officer, Malcolm Harkins. Well, from the cloud to IoT and now sustainability, we recently made a shift to a new podcast name, In Technology but we also added sustainability to our mix of topics. Yeah, now we're covering everything from zero trust to net zero. (laughs) That's true. That's true. And you know, it it makes a lot of sense why we added sustainability. When you think about companies, they're obviously trying to do the right thing from being a good world and corporate citizen, but also they're looking at their bottom lines and saying, how can we do business in a more sustainable, long-term fashion, but how do I use technology? to lower my cost, to lower my carbon footprint. All of these aspects kind of blend together in a lot of really interesting ways. Right. I mean, technology in large part is what's going to be able to drive improvements in sustainability. And of course, if we're using technology to do that, along with our critical infrastructure, it better well be secure. So we're just finding they continue to intersect more and more and more. So it's explicit now. It's part of it. So. One of our first in-technology conversations was with Tamar Alam, who's an IBM fellow and also chief scientist there for Sustainable Compute. And she has an interesting story because she spent years working in cloud computing, but then she heard a lecture on sustainability and it really lit a fire under her. And she has made the shift to completely focus on sustainability and compute at this point. Yeah, and she shared with us some pretty significant trends that show why this work is so important. Really, we are at an inflection point where there are multiple trends that are obvious and that are happening today. And one is the exponential data and data transfer. Like everything is on uh, Zoom and all these video transfer games and so on. So that's obvious. And that, of course, comes with energy emission and so on. Then there is the uh, new emerging workloads in the cloud that are very energy hungry, such as AI. So if you look just at AI, which is obviously very popular for very good reasons, the uh, energy for training AI jobs doubles every three to four months. Wow. That's like crazy. And AI, look, AI is an amazing tool. And, you know, we and IBM are all embracing AI. We're doing AI. We're living AI. And that's because AI can help us actually really face all of these challenges, uh, including discovery of material for carbon capture, including analyzing satellite images and predicting climatic events. AI is a great tool. However, with power comes responsibility, as I like to say. So how can we use AI responsibly and how can we really work to make AI more efficient? That's the second trend. And then the third trend has to do with the, the demise of the scaling, also known as the flattening of Moore's law. 
And basically what that says is that we cannot uh, continue to expect to get the efficiency improvements from general purpose computing chips. Like we used to get every two years, you get more energy efficient and more energy efficient and more energy efficient. And that's because we reached the limits of physics. And that's why there is a move to specialized systems. But because of these three trends, this has caused some to raise the alarm on the increasing energy consumption of computing in general. In fact, the Semiconductor Corporation published a report, a decadal report, and basically the bottom line there is the, the energy for computing overall is growing in a faster rate than the uh, energy f- uh, that we're producing, period, than the power that we're producing, period. And that's a problem because obviously we need more computing, but we need more efficient computing. That was Tamar Alem, IBM fellow. And Camille, Tamar used the word alarm there, and I think with good reason, but she's also shared some bright spots of approaches that can get us moving forward towards sustainable computing. For example, going back to the cloud, people are looking at ways to leverage times when there's more predictable renewable energy powering the grid. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting because even though we consider energy output when it comes to using technology, Tamar still believes technology is the answer to solving a lot of these problems in the climate space. So she's proposing if we can get more efficient algorithms and artificial intelligence that are less processing intensive and run those where and when there's renewable power, we can even moderate energy usage. Yeah, it's very clear. We've only scratched the surface on sustainability this year. And we have a lot more episodes on the topic coming up next year. So stay tuned. Well, our final listener favorite for this special Thanksgiving Thank Our Listener episode is a conversation you had, Camille, on what that means looking at machine consciousness. Yeah, well, back in June, there was a bunch of stuff in the press about an engineer at Google who had claimed that the AI chatbot that he was working on had actually become sentient or come to life or now had machine consciousness. So. I thought, well, what does that mean? (laughs) So actually chatted with Yosha Bach, who is a principal researcher in Intel Labs here. And he is a computer scientist, but he's also a philosopher. And he really walked through a whole bunch of different concepts, including the difference between sentience and consciousness and what really constitutes even a machine and what different things can go together in that space. I found this to be absolutely fascinating. And in fact, you know, it's not uncommon for me to listen, even if we record it together. This one was just you, Camille, but even when we record it together, I might listen to an episode just because you get a different perspective than when you're actually recording. But in this case, I listened to this one twice. To me, it asked a pretty foundational question and an important one, which is, how would you know if, in fact, we have created you know, an entity, something that has consciousness, that has become sentient? That, 
to me is a very perplexing question and one that's very, very difficult to answer. It's very easy to ask, but difficult to answer. But this is a great first step. To me, it feels pretty clear cut today, just on a personal level. But as we start to see greater and greater convergence between biology and technology, I think that that line is going to appear more and more blurred. So it's important to start thinking about it now. The way I use sentience is that it describes the ability of a system to model its environment and it discovers itself and its environment and the relationship that it has to its environment, which means it now has a model of the world and the interface between self and world. And this experience of this interface between self and world, but the world that you experience is not the physical world. It's a game engine that is entrained in your brain. Your brain discovers how to make a game engine like Minecraft, mm -hmm. and that runs on your neocortex and it's tuned to your sensory data. So your uh, eyes and your skin and so on are sampling bits from the environment and the game engine in your uh, mind is updated to track the changes in those bits and to predict them optimally well, to say, when I'm going to look in these directions, these are the bits that I'm going to sample and my game engine predicts them. And this is how we operate. And in that game engine, there is an agent and it's the agent that is using the contents of that control model to control its own behavior. And this is how we discover our first-person perspective, the self, right? There mm -hmm. is the agent that is me, that is using my model to inform its behavior. And uh, inside of this agent, we have uh, two aspects. One is perception. That's basically all these neural networks that are similar to what deep learning does right now for the most part. And that translates the patterns into some kind of geometric model of reality that tracks mm -hmm. reality dynamically. And then you have reflection. That's a decoupled agent that is not working in the same time frame, and that can also work when you close your eyes. And that is reflecting on what you are observing. And that thing mm -hmm. is directing your attention. And this is the thing that is consciousness. A uh, difference between uh, consciousness and sentience in this uh, framework is that sentience does not necessarily require phenomenal experience. It's mm. the knowledge of what you are doing. So in this perspective, you could say that, uh, for instance, a corporation like Intel could be sentient. Intel could understand what it's doing in the world. It understands its environment. Mm. It understands its own legal, organizational, technical causal structure. And it uses people in various roles to facilitate this understanding and decision-making. But Intel is not conscious. Mm -hmm. Intel mm -hmm. it does not have an experience of what it's like to be Intel. I think that practically consciousness comes down to the question of whether a system is acting on a model of its own self-awareness. So is this model aware that it's the observer? And does this factor into its behavior? This is how you can recognize that a cat is conscious. Because the cat is observing itself as conscious. The cat knows that it's conscious and it's communicating this to you. And you can reach an agreement about the fact that you mutually observe each other's consciousness. And uh, I suspect that this can also happen with a machine. But the difficulty is that uh, the machine can also deepfake it. Mm -hmm. And deepfaking mm -hmm. it can be extremely complicated. So I suspect that, for instance, the Lambda bot is deepfaking consciousness. And you can mm -hmm. see the, the cracks in this deepfake. For instance, when it describes that it can meditate and sit down in its meditation and take in its environment, and you notice it has no environment because it has no perception, cannot access the camera. There is nothing, nothing what it's like to be in its environment because the only environment that it has is inside of its own models. And these models do not pertain to a real-time reality. So mm -hmm. when it pretends to have that, it's just lying. 
But see, uh, right. it's not even lying because it doesn't know the difference between right. lying and saying the truth because it has no access to that ground truth. That was an excerpt from my conversation with Yosha Bach, a principal researcher in Intel Labs who's focused on artificial intelligence, if you didn't gather that by now. I encourage you to listen to the entire episode. Some people have even done it twice. <laughs> That's true. We'll put the links to all four of our listener favorites in the show notes so it's easy for you to find them. Yeah, and listeners, I hope you enjoyed this Thanksgiving look back at your favorite episodes from this past year. Camille and I really appreciate your continued support, and we're always open to your suggestions for topics and guests, so keep them coming. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology, and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Moorhart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation. Intel Corporation.